Ever been sidelined when it comes to understanding South Korea at an important meeting, conference or discussion? You won't be if you become a member of Korea Pro, your one-stop solution to staying updated with the latest in South Korea's politics, society, economy and foreign relations. Picture this, every morning you wake up to a newsletter that gives you a full aggregation of all the top news and analysis. It's handcrafted by the producers of NK Pro and NK News, so you can trust it to save you time and keep you ahead of the news cycle. In addition, the Korea Pro Week Ahead newsletter flags upcoming conferences, events and major diplomatic and business developments. And of course, there's in-depth specialist analysis to keep you informed on the top issues of the day, which you won't find anywhere else. Korea Pro is produced by a wide range of specialists, including in-house analysts and external contributors. There are no ads or sponsored articles on Korea Pro. Unlike some of its South Korean competitors, Korea Pro provides hard-hitting and objective analysis without hidden agendas. For my listeners today, I've got something special. Use the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe and get a 25% discount. Just head to koreapro.org slash podcast. Use the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe and get a 25% discount. Just head to koreapro.org slash podcast. That's koreapro.org slash podcast. Make the smart choice. Choose Korea Pro. Listeners and welcome to the NK News Podcast. This is the first episode for 2024 and I'm your host Jacko Zwetslut. This episode was recorded on the morning of Tuesday the 2nd of January and I'm joined here in the studio by Jongmin Kim and Shreyas Reddy. Welcome on the show. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Indeed. So we have lots to talk about that's happened in the last week from North Korea but especially a big message from Kim Jong-un. So Last week, they had some kind of a meeting in North Korea. What sort of meeting was it, Treyas? Well, it was North Korea's now traditional end-of-year party plenum. So the Central Committee and basically senior officials from North Korea's ruling party meet multiple days to hash out everything to review the year that's gone by, but more importantly, to set the agenda for the coming year. And it's not something that has happened forever, but the last few years, it has become a bit of a tradition in North Korea. Before that, the leader used to give a New Year's Day speech. Right Now, it has effectively been replaced by this end-of-year plenum, where they decide everything. And again, that's where the leader sets out the agenda for what is to come. And so that was basically the focus of what happened. And this year's plenum, or last year already, last year's plenum, the most recent plenum was it was five days, wasn't it? It was quite long. Yeah, I mean, well, to be honest, I think we've also had six-day plenums, we've had longer plenums. Mm -hmm. So what we were kind of expecting initially when this plenum started was, I believe it started on 26th Mm -hmm. uh, December. So we thought it would follow the usual pattern of perhaps just stretching until the last day of the year. And then New Year's Day, we would get these extremely long and detailed reports setting out the agenda for everything, effectively that substitute for the old New Year's speech. Right. But much to our surprise, the plenum ended a day early. So on, it ended on 30th, and then on 31st morning, suddenly North Korean media started reporting on the events of the plenum. And yeah. 
Okay, so what were the events of the plenum? What I mean, they they reviewed the last year. That what was the good news? I mean, so there was on the whole perhaps a more upbeat tone of the plenum compared to previous years. For example, last year Kim Jong Un talked about the arduous struggles North Korea had gone through. North Koreans were going through, and that was obviously after multiple years of border closure, pandemic, natural disasters galore, food shortages, economic problems, obviously COVID itself. But this year, there was a much more upbeat tone right from the start. The very first day, he hailed 2023 as a year of great transformation. Mm. And that was kind of what started filtering through over the course of the plenum. They were highlighting their successes in military development, their satellite launches, ICBMs. They were talking about uniform progress across the board economically, like honestly, unusually positive news uh, economically, where they were saying it has effectively increased, the GDP has increased 1.4 times compared to 2020 baseline, which is a significant figure because you're not comparing it to a period when the pandemic, when they were struggling. Mm -hmm. You're comparing it to the last decent year North Korea would have had. Yeah, a 40% increase in uh, well, growth in the economy over, over three years, that's quite something. Yeah. Uh, how realistic is that? To be honest, you, you, you'd you have to say that, I think, well, first thing one has to clarify is North Korea has not given absolute numbers ah. in several years. So what are you baselining against? We don't really know. You can say that North Korea does appear to have had a relatively good year economically. Food production was on the rise. No natural disasters. Trade started to resume with key partners like China. But at the same time, there was other questionable aspects of this. For example, they said that they had 12 priority sectors listed as part of their five-year plan and their, their agenda for this year, what they wanted to strengthen. And they said that they matched or exceeded targets mm. on in every single one compared to those levels from 2020. And that seems a little unusual. It's not they had a they may have had a good year, but a year that was that uniformly consistently good, that seems a little unusual. And I also saw in one of the reports that whether it was Kim Jong-un or somebody else, but there's a claim there that uh, North Korea harvested more than the food it actually needs. They did actually claim that. And to be fair, we have seen estimates even from South Korean government sources that they did produce a fair bit more this year, but again, more than it actually needs. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that you'd have to uh, have questions about, especially after the struggle. So the last few years, you, right. one would assume they wouldn't have had much in reserve, given that they haven't had surpluses for a while. And the reports that came out almost a year ago from what was the UN agencies, right, that said yeah. that there was a, a, a food crisis in North Korea. And I mean, even but, even North Korea admitted to that, to be honest. Right, but also, like, there were no in-country staffers from international organizations to monitor, actually. So mm -hmm. these were predicted or yeah. um, guesstimation, really. Yeah, right. right. Very much. Right. Yeah, uh, Jongmin, uh, tell us about uh, what's what can we expect in the year ahead uh, based on this plenum? For listeners, we have a very, very long 2024 all-staff prediction piece that all of our reporters wrote, so check it out for a longer version. For mm -hmm. but, but I wanted to touch on the inter-Korean-related remarks that Kim Jong-un made that will impact not just this year, but also just inter-Korean policy going forward. Technically, there were six agendas of the plenum. Six of uh, the agendas included the 2023 review, which included uh, reviewing a lot of threats that North Korea perceived mm -hmm. on the south of the border, like the U.S. strategic assets visiting, increased uh, level of trilateral alliance and security, 
Camp David visit and so on and so forth, and Yoon's tendency to have a soft spot for unification by absorption, although he never really says that directly, mm-hmm. and the end the Kim Jong-un regime sort of threat that came out of U.S. and South Korea throughout the years. So Kim Jong-un mentioned all of that in the 2023 review. Uh-huh. And then the agenda moves on to 2024 directions, policy directions. Yep. And this part was what used to be a New Year's address by the leader. So it's a little bit more structuralized. And this part, Kim actually used a very big chunk of his speech on redefining and formulating a new ipjang, the ipjang, the stance, stance yeah. the national policy on how to see unification. Mm, and yep. his main point is, it's not possible. He said, literally said, it's a fixed state, kuchakduen state right mm-hmm. now that the division, the division is a fixed state and South Korea is not a compatriot anymore. Not homo- we're not homogenous people, minjok anymore, mm. but it's a warring foreign different state. And it sort of ditched the entire Kim Il-sung era philosophy on Uri Minjokiri. And like, although there were formats that varied throughout the years, they never really directly gave up on unification. But Kim directly said we have to admit the reality and just give it up. Is he just saying that it's not possible under President Yoon, or is he saying something bigger than that? That was actually a very interesting part, because although he did mention Yoon's defense minister and Yoon's remarks a lot, he inserted two or three paragraphs on how he he and his party comprehensively review the past 10 administrations in South Korea uh-huh. and how like decades of inter-Korean policies and how South Korea maintained this idea of unification based on liberal democracy one way or another throughout all those decades. And Kim says that the party concluded that that concept is incompatible with what North Korea's party used to hold, which is one... The confederation yeah, system confederation, or low-level federation. Or confederation initially and then mm-hmm. moving on to something else. Did he in his speech directly say something about the confederation idea? Like, did he say this idea is dead in the water, we've, we've dumping it? Right. He mentioned the one, one country, two system thing, which is uh-huh. a confederacy right. idea and one min joke. He says that it's not compatible anymore. It's, it's, and it's just reality. And he ordered top officials. The reason why I think that this is an actual guideline for the policy elites is that Choi Sun-hee, the foreign minister, not mm-hmm. anyone related to unification, hosted a summoning session of all the officials who were related to inter-Korean policy, like Ri Sun-won, to discuss how to implement Kim Jong-un's instruction on dissolving and cleaning up the organs related to it. Uh, and those organs, you've got the United Front Department mm-hmm. in the party, and you've got the Committee for the Peaceful right. Unification of the Fatherland. They already lost a lot of actual power ah. um, and did not really make and got any mentions in state media in the past few months anyways, but now they are formulating it as a new state policy, they use the term line, Nosan, which is rare. Okay. So this does sound like a big deal. Has North Korea also recognized that South Korea is a, is a state within itself? Well, that was a point of debate among some of the experts that I've talked to. Mm. There are mixed messagings in the speech because like we saw in the past year, Kim Jong-un did use Taehyun-minguk, ROK, but he also mixed it in with overwhelming number of derogatory... Puppet states. Yeah, puppet states. South Koreans are U.S. stooge, Mm. lackeys, blah, 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 blah. But most of the experts said that although one thing is they are redefining the relations as a relations between foreign states mm-hmm. to avoid logical contradiction with the Uriminjokiri thing to aim the nuclear weapons at the compatriots. So they're doing that by sort of acknowledging that they are a foreign state, 
but the focus is not on state, but they're foreign. 교전국, on warring states. Uh-huh. And another part is they kept mentioning, Kim Jong-un kept mentioning how it's just incompatible, but also there, were, there was this small mention of a national pride of North Koreans where they think it's just below them for the prestige of North Korean state ah. to discuss unification with just this colonial stooge, which is South Korea. So they are seeing it as a separate entity, but condescending when they say state. Right. Wow. Shreyas, do you want to add some thoughts? I mean, so I think definitely it's the phrasing of it is quite significant and how you they've put it. But one of the things that I also heard while talking to experts was that it's not just significant what they said, but also who said it, because it's not just, at this point, it's not, let's say, Kim Jong-un's sister, Kim mm-hmm. Yo-jong, it's mm-hmm. not some other officials. It's Kim Jong-un laying out in surprisingly specific terms yeah. just how they feel about the prospects of unification with South Korea and essentially saying they, they still, it's, uh, they're still laying the blame firmly on South Korea, of course. They're saying, look, our principles of unification are fair, just, they, they, we, all, we will always support our interpretation. But South Korea has a completely different approach. This is the exact, but, and they doesn't matter which administration it is. Mm. It is not compatible. So we, and that is why we do not see this as an option now. And that's something that, so it's very much about, and I guess that's consistent with them as well. It's about shifting blame. But the other aspect of the messaging has been a very militaristic tone to how they deal with South Korea and the US, of course, but South Korea in this context, because you're no longer just saying, okay, this is our country, this is uh, the same country, we're just on different sides. At this point, if you're willing to distinguish between the two Koreas as separate entities, then it gives you more room to say things like, for example, North Korea talked about the Korean Peninsula being on the precipice of nuclear war. Mm-hmm. They're talking about, obviously, the U.S. deployment of strategic assets, but even South Korea's actions and trying to talk about how they're now effectively at odds, and they see war as a realistic concept, not just an abstract notion. And so... And this is war on the Korean Peninsula, not war between the United States and North Korea. They're saying on the war... Uh, well, it's kind of... They of said both. nuclear crisis yeah. or other contingencies on oh, exactly. the peninsula. Okay. And can I add something yes, to this? In later part in Kim's speech, the part I talked about about the unification was in the earlier part of Kim's speech. Yes. And then he goes on to talk about talk about Biden, Kishida, and they all suck, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then he goes further and say, I instruct KPA, the military, to prepare carrying out Tesabyon, great event, mm. which is a term North Korea uses for milestone achievements like their first ever intercontinental ballistic. It's, it's a big deal. Right. And he referred to this great event as subjugating, Pyongyang, or conquering. Now now foreign, South Korean territory. And this was this part was came right after talking about U.S. strategic asset threat. Mm-hmm. So it sort of implies that not only South Korean military action, but also U.S. actions near the peninsula or on the peninsula could trigger North Korea to consider that as an imminent threat and bring up the subjugation logic once again. So it was sort of the unification, new unification policy or no unification policy sort of came with justifying the military plan that they has been work they have been working on like tactical nuclear weapons aimed at South yeah. Korea. And they did also like he followed up on that as well on New Year's Eve. Uh, so after the plenum concluded, mm-hmm. he went uh, Kim Jong-un met senior military officials and again reiterated that same message. We're on the brink of a nuclear war. There's uh, the chances of 
conflict will increase because of the U.S. and South Korea. So we should be ready to dis- uh, to deploy super powerful means, uh, like all means, including super powerful mm. weapons. Was super uh, powerful a direct quote? Yeah. Like, so <laughs> wow. it was a very strange expression, but yeah, I think it's so I th- they're certainly willing to amp up the nuclear rhetoric, but that doesn't necessarily obviously mean oh there will definitely be conflict, but certainly you see that North Korea is willing to amp up the rhetoric, and at the same time we're also seeing. South Korea, like the South Korean defense minister responded to the comments about subjugating Mm -hmm. uh, South Korean territory by, I think, so he basically said South Korea will continue to extend its deterrence and it will, if North Korea provokes, we should be prepared to retaliate forcefully. And I think he said we should make North Korea feel in its bones that provocative acts will lead to its destruction. Mm. And so we're seeing this kind of back and forth and obviously north korea is going nuclear with its rhetoric right strong words uh, from both sides there i'm just wondering what this all means for north korea's you know sort of state mission i mean it's always said Mm. for decades that we have as a task before us to liberate the south and unite the korean peninsula and if they're saying now that actually we're not really so interested in unification anymore and that's an internal and an external messaging right i mean they've always told their people and people who visit north korea we want unification. We're all about unification through you know whatever means. But now it doesn't seem like they're so into that anymore. So what what does North Korea make as its central mission now? What does that mean? Well, first of all, I totally agree that the philosophical part of all this is really really important. Like some people might just see this as just rhetoric mm. and just word like terminology change, but actually in hereditary dictatorship, like especially Kim families. Ideology is one of the most important things that justifies and legitimizes the leadership, right? Like even the potential fourth generation Kim as well. So this actually marks a big sign of a break from past generation legitimacy on Mm -hmm. the existence of North Korea, on reconciling and winning back the South Korean compatriots. So I just wonder what kind of follow-up they might be doing. We just discussed potentially, like, what will they do with the website, Uri Minjokiri? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They'll have to rename it, like, just no Minjok. Or or we are the the, the Minjok, maybe. To Kyojongukiri or something. Warring states or something. Their propaganda approach across the board, like, a lot of it will have to change. Their signs here, uh, their propaganda websites, their signs, like, how they actually, what sort of outreach they have. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I've got to say, this is something that's kind of baked into their national identity. So are they going to have to have, we've got a... Uh, there's a parliament session coming up later this month, so will they also implement a lot of other changes to go with it? I think it's something that we'll have to see. So how it, uh, yeah, brand. It'll, it'll. I mean, this has just been what the the speech was on on Sunday, and so it'll take some time for these things to shake out through the various channels and organs. But what's the Rodong Shinmun reported on the messaging on the inter-Korean? Yeah. Well, uh, interestingly, Rodong Shimun usually right after this big speech by the leader, they uh, publish articles just supporting them. Mm -hmm. But what was interesting was KCTV, actually. Ah. When KCTV videos show heavily edited fancy footages of something, it means that it's something important. And when they were reporting on the plenum yesterday on KCTV, the state television, when Kim Jong-un was mentioning this five-minute part about U.S.-South Korea 
relations and the unification issue, they showed like an edited footage of all the things, U.S. strategic assets that visited South Korea, that Ah. they lifted from South Korean media. Ah. And the photos of Yoon and Biden and Kishida together. So it seems like they are trying to emphasize this as one of the main parts of Kim's speech so far. Wow. Okay. Tell us more about the reaction of the South Korean government. We've just heard some words uh, from Shreyas about uh, what the, uh, the the defense minister said. Well, what about President Yoon? He gave a, uh, a New Year's Day speech. Yesterday. I think it was actually funny. We yeah. talked about this because Shreyas, well, didn't you say, like we, we saw that he, he said that North Korean leaders' theme of the speech was like, we had such a great year. Yeah. But Yoon's speech started off with, uh-huh. it must have been so difficult for you this year. Like um, a complete reversal from yeah. you know, previous years when North Korea used to advertise its struggles. But right. Yeah, now, now right. that's a South Korean But he tone. didn't mention North Korea that much, actually. Mm. Yeah, if anything, I think he just re- talked about, you know, we're going to strengthen extended deterrence. Nuclear-based alliance. Nuclear. Yeah. So I think it was mostly his comments did not seem like they incorporated anything that came out of the plenum. It was more like a continuation of the messaging from the past year. If anything, I think South Korea so far... Maybe it's still in New Year mode. Apart from the defense minister, no one has, uh, at an official level, no one has, well, mm. as of mm. the time of recording, yep. no one appears to have. And elections approaching. So the New Year's right. address this year, it has to focus on econ issues, which yep. is the biggest one in the election mm. year, parliamentary election. Right. His speech to- focused mainly on eco- economic issues, uh, Yun's speech, that is, focused yeah. mainly on the, the economy. What are experts saying in terms of? Does this bring us closer to war? Is there is this a real tension, a real crisis on the Korean Peninsula, or is this one of those cyclical things that we've seen many times before? I think it's kind of depends on who you ask. So some of the, some people will look at it and say this is a continuation of the past year of both sides amping up the rhetoric, but not necessarily driving us closer to actual conflict. But some others say a lot depends also on whether North Korea thinks it can get away with an actual attack. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a full-scale war, mm-hmm. but let's say even, for example, skirmishes and clashes like at Yongpyeongdo over a decade ago, we're talking about if they think they can get away with it, then perhaps they could just test the waters a little bit. But at the end of the day, a lot also comes down to how South Korea sets itself up over the coming year. Also, the US presence in the region, how South Korea works with its allies. So there is that factor. But I think on the whole, it seems like it's, for the moment, it still appears to be more of rhetoric. But at the same time, both sides, bear in mind, just a couple of months ago, South Korea partially suspended an mm-hmm. inter-Korean military agreement and North Korea then responded by completely scrapping it. So both sides have already put themselves in a position where they can fortify the border, they can deploy more troops, they can set up weapon systems and reconnaissance survey and surveillance systems. They've already, to some extent, both sides have started that, but they can certainly take it further. But just going back as well, when we're talking about the war footing, that was one of the big themes in terms of emphasis throughout the plenum. They kept hailing the achievements of the past year in terms of military development. They talked about the satellite satellite launches. And they will launch three more. Exactly. So then at least you can sense that it's not just the nuclear war aspect that they're covering. They're talking about continuing to strengthen their conventional military capabilities, their space-based military capabilities, Mm. their missile program. And they're, on the whole, looking to continue fortifying, whether that translates into also making things more operational in a a war sense. That's something that, 
has to be seen. But for now, it seems like it's a combination of development and rhetoric. Well, to to your question, back mm. to your question, yes. I would say that the, the military threat mm. and whether or not we're close to the war, I think it just remains the same from the threat level that we saw militarily last year. Yeah. But the rhetorical device that justifies North mm-hmm. Korea's actions or justified North Korea's action in the past year, it's now more convenient for, for North Korea to frame it to the domestic audience because touching on something that Kim Il-sung instructed and yep. going against it, it's always a really difficult task for Kim Jong-un to handle, but although he kept doing it a little by little. But this makes them... So just, what, are you saying that he's what using kind of salami slice tactics to... <laughs> to do away with his grandfather's exactly. ideology of unification is exactly. the number one thing. Exactly. Uh, and so little by little, he's whittling away at that. Right. This year, of course, is right. 30 years since Kim Il-sung died. So, uh, so long term, the threat, the level of threat that we expect from North Korea, like how far they can go long term, mm-hmm. it increased. But current level military threat and the possibility of war, it just remains almost the same as last year. Hmm, it's interesting. I, I wonder, um, in the past, we've had some people uh, have put forward the idea that North Korea might strike a secondary or tertiary level city in South Korea with hmm. a, a missile or a bomb or something, and then use that as leverage to take over South Korea. But I, I always thought that was quite far-fetched, but now I'm, I'm, I'm wondering. Yeah, in my prediction, I included North Korea. Uh, we included like unlikely black swans that if happens, yeah. it's going to be a game changer. I included just sneak peek, trying to sees one of the West Sea Islands, South Korean West Sea Islands. Ah, like Pengyongdo and Yonpyongdo. Yeah, and, and the small we've, we've heard from people in those islands, in those regions, that they look at the proximity. If mm-hmm. an attack comes through, they're kind of resigned to the idea that it'll be over before they can even do anything about it. Because it's one thing to be prepared, but it's another thing when you don't necessarily have the time to yeah. really respond. And Pyongyangdo is, you can see North Korea from the island. Yeah. It's not really something, Yongpyongdo uh, Yong as well. So you're not really, if North Korea goes for it, I think you'd say they have a chance. A lot depends on preparedness and willingness from both sides to do whatever they feel is necessary. Wow. And so this really, it's come out of the blue, right? I, I certainly wasn't expecting this kind of a speech from Kim Jong-un at the end of last year. Was either of you? Well, I like I knew that he will talk about South Korea, but not this drastic mm. new line, new Lotan. Right, uh, I didn't it's a, it's a warring that. state. It's a separate country. We're not brothers. Tell me more. I mean, give us some of the the wording that he used to say that we're no longer one race or we're no longer uh, one blood or one people. He said that uh, he used a lot of very difficult wordings, even he, in Korean. Yeah, even in Korean, it was difficult to translate. Uh, let me just quickly check. He first of all, he said that we're not homogenous anymore, saying that <laughs> South Koreans. This was interesting. You know that North Korea usually aims at South Korean regime or government right. when they are saying that we're not compatible anymore or anything. Sure. But this time to, he to distinguish the government from the people. Right. He this time he didn't do that. He said that oh, all South Koreans are now tainted huh. by Yankee culture. So ah. at, to the point of no return. I see. So there's no point of like aiming at unification because we're just so different now. Right. Well, and that's certainly, uh, I mean, people, of course, have brought up the point before that if unification were to happen under some kind of North Korean leadership, that just the kind of ideological taint, to use the words there, would be difficult for North Korea to uh, 
A, protect its own people from being infected by South Koreans if they were allowed to co-mingle, and B, you know, difficult to run its ideology over South, you know, 55 million South Korean people. It shows in South Korean polls too. It's not like South Koreans think that we are still homogenous. A lot of younger generations in polls every year say that we're too different now. Right. Although the rate of them South Koreans saying that we still need unification is still high. Mm. Like it gets lower. Right. But it's still high. Yep. In a sense, it is a very practical and, in a sense, updated view of how uh, the fact that the two countries have diverged a lot over the last 75 years. But at the same time, as John min said, it is surprising that they actually spelled it out, that yes. they actually stated it. And as she said, you're essentially going against one of the founding principles of North Korea, of uh, what Kim Il-sung advocated. Right. And that's something that effectively, even if the base has been set there for a while, just making that move in itself is a big deal. That makes me wonder then what will be the future basis for legitimacy of the, the North Korean system. If it's not going to be unification and uh, bringing all the Korean people together, it must become something else. Now, maybe that be, uh, you know, we're a nuclear power or uh, we're protecting you from the enemies at the gates, namely the Americans and the South Koreans and sometimes even the Japanese. So does, does I think that it might be the latter, Yeah, closer yeah. to the latter. But I, I feel like the fundamental sentiment that North Korea held since the Korean War, that mm -hmm. that territory has to be ours. We right. have the legitimacy for the, for that southern territory. It sort of stayed, and it still stays in this one as well. Right, because he does talk about, what, suppressing the South. Presumably, at that point, he means also taking over its territory into North Korea, right? right? it's just that the terminology changed from what they utilized to refer to compatriots' mm -hmm. territory to what they will refer to as foreign territory. Right, so maybe just take the land but kick out all the people yeah, of South yeah. Korea. That might be... But in, you were, one of the options you mentioned was also about how it's effectively its view of the outside world and other countries. And I think that was something that also kind of stood out in mm. uh, this. Obviously, there was a lot of focus on South Korea, the US, to some extent Japan. Interestingly, Kim Jong-un did not explicitly mention Russia or China there, but he talked about strengthening friendships ah. with other anti-imperialist and mm -hmm. socialist countries. And in a sense... But that not by name. That's interesting. But yeah, not by name. But at the same time, there's kind of intriguing in that it goes back to one of North Korea's other early principles, mm. particularly one that was espoused by Kim Il-sung. Kim Il-sung reached out to a lot of countries that mm -hmm. weren't... Well, essentially, as North Korea has been a, long, been a part of the non-aligned movement. Right. So they reached out to other countries that they saw as anti-imperialist. It's a, ba a strong base of their friendships with a lot of countries in Africa, Latin America, mm -hmm. uh, Southeast Asia. Now, he didn't, because he didn't specify it, we don't know what, uh, which countries he's referring to, whether he just means the anti-imperialism, the anti-US front right. of Russia, China, Syria, or are we saying, are they going to kind of go back to the drawing board in some sense and say we also want to have relations with other countries but at the same time that part's a little iffy because yeah. they're simultaneously shutting down embassies well, around exactly. the world. This comes so in the context, yeah. They also didn't mention, notably they didn't mention anything about opening up mm -hmm. in the coming year. Ah. Nor China or Russia directly. Yeah. So, right. so, so that so the, the idea of you know foreign embassies will come and and business people and tourists and NGOs that was simply not mentioned. So yeah, it wasn't something that they said so they hinted at engagement in some sort, but mm. because they didn't spell it out and yeah. they didn't say anything about allowing people in or how much they're willing to go out. I think that's something that there's still more questions than answers there. Right. Wow. Okay. What about you know economic goals for the next year or or you know some often their five year plans? But what, did he? 
say anything about what we're going to do for the economy in next year in North Korea? I think because a big part of this year's focus was praising what they've already done. Yeah. It was a large part of it came down to we'll continue doing what what we're doing. Also, essentially saying you know we're doing well, but the people will still have to continue struggling to achieve the goals. Mm. They're still talk, they're saying that in the next two years we're going to redouble our efforts to achieve the goals of the five year plan laid out at the party congress in January 2021. So 2024, 2025, they're saying now we're on track, now we're doing well. Yeah. So now let's go ahead and do more and do everything possible. So perhaps not in as many specifics, but from their perspective, it's all it all comes down to what they already laid out three years ago and trying to work towards fulfilling that. Yeah, now we know that he set as a goal to launch three more military reconnaissance satellites because as we've pointed out, I think before in the podcast and certainly on nknews.org, that you can't just uh, have one reconnaissance satellite and, and be, you know, have a good view of things on the ground. You need to have a network yep. somewhere between five to ten. So, ideally, so it's you know, frequent. Five yeah. would, be a, would be a minimum. So they're going to put up another three this year. Yeah. And that, we expected that. We sort of saw yeah. that coming. Last year, he said, I want you to exponentially ramp up nuclear weapons production and improve missiles. Did he mention that again this time? He did. He, well, he said that basically they're going to, they want to strengthen the base for nuclear production. So large-scale nuclear production, weapons production is mm-hmm. on the agenda. Interestingly, he talked about nuclear weapons production plan of 2024, which was, it, it seemed more like an odd choice of wording. It felt more like it was saying in 2024, we're going to continue enhancing our nuclear weapons production. Yeah, yeah I think certainly that is going to be a big part of the agenda in the coming year. We saw them already unveil different types of tactical nuclear warheads and certainly intercontinental ballistic missiles, other missiles over the past year. So now they could, it, the focus seems to be on scaling up production, mm-hmm. but there's also scope for diversification. Especially in Navy, yes. naval assets. Say more about that. What's happening in the Navy? Well, last year we saw this, uh, I, I think, an important trend where Kim Jong-un started putting more focus on their Navy, mm-hmm. the North Korean Navy, which was out of high spotlight for a few years, almost a Except decade. Except for when they had that uh, the submarine being produced right, a few years ago, right? But then they, state media sort of stopped talking about that. Mm. Um, and then now they are back on naval assets. And then when, when Kim Jong-un went to Russia, they he visited related sites as well. Yeah. Right. So it was part of the military plans that they categorized in the plenum speech as well. And just to mention, they will probably try to time the reconnaissance satellite launch and other stuff in line with competing with South Korea, because South Korea also has a lot of plans to Ah. launch stuff this year, including reconnaissance satellites. Ah. Um, So North Korea might try to do it in April. So, yeah. Ahead of South Korean one. Has South Korea uh, announced launch dates? Some of them, but, okay. but it, it depends on the technological issue and also weather. Yep. But we'll have to see. But probably after winter, we will see some satellites launched again. Mm. But yeah, and going back to, again, the other strengthening of capabilities. So Navy, they're planning to strengthen ship, shipbuilding, yep. add more underwater and surface capabilities. So most we can expect to see more submarine development, more mm. shipbuilding. But also talking about it we last year we saw new uh, north korea debut new reconnaissance and combat drones yes. they're talking about further development of their unmanned aerial capabilities they're talking about boosting their electronic warfare capabilities mm. so on the whole it is a big part of what they uh, they it's not so the satellites 
are obviously the big ticket item. That's what everyone's going to be talking about. Yeah. That's where they laid out specifics. But they're going to be building a whole lot around that to supplement things in different fronts. It's North Korea has traditionally been a very army-focused, ground forces-focused right. fo- military. They're now str- looking to act under Kim Jong Un. They have made a concerted effort to strengthen another aspect. We know that, yeah, they have some drones. They've shown us them uh, and used them. Uh, well, they crossed the border, uh, the demilitarized zone with them uh, last year and, and then had a, a couple of these big drones that were clearly copies of American drones <laughs> at the, uh, the Even military Even the numbers parade. were the same. Even the numbers yeah. were the same, yeah. And then when, when Kim Jong-un made that visit to Russia, there was talk about, what, technological collaboration there. So we might see some different kinds of drones using Russian technology perhaps, right? We, also- did, we did also see... Uh, during that, when Kim Jong-un was coming back, so a governor of one of the Russian provinces even gifted ah. some uh, drones made That's in Russia. Right. Now, Russia admittedly does not have particularly strong capabilities when right. it comes to developing it's drones. using Iranian drones in exactly. Ukraine. But over the last year, they've also focused more on developing their indigenous capabilities. So mm-hmm. if they're looking to cooperate, that's certainly some a- an area where both countries are definitely trying to scale up their capabilities, and there's room for a lot of exchange there. And Anton Sokolin and Kinews, he just reported yesterday that there has been, there was a clearest to date evidence on Russian television, I think it was, that North Korean missiles, diverse missiles are being used in Ukraine yeah. war. So wow. some of the plannings that North Korea sort of scheduled in the plenum, we don't know yet clearly what's for what, but we will have to keep an eye on what's for export specifically. Yes. And, and what about sea drones or underwater drones? Hail. Right. They uh, did uh, mention was it. Was that mentioned in the speech too? They Is did mention it. They did mention yeah. the, the, as, in, as an achievement. Yeah, as an achievement ah, okay. because they've, they're, they're talking about all the missiles and capabilities that they developed over the course of the year. So. Right. Wow. Well, it's, a, it's an interesting way to start the year. Chongman, you write for both Korea Pro and NK News, so you're writing on stories on both sides of the demilitarized zone. This looks like an interesting year. Uh, interesting year for South Korean politics, actually, just to link that, you, all the unification issues that we talked about to South Korean politics. Yes. South Korean political environment, it will be very, very dynamic and hectic this year, throughout the year. It started off with a new interim leader who was former justification minister, Yoon's closest, one of closest aides. Justice Minister. Justice Minister. Han Dong-hoon was so popular with South Korean older women. Uh-huh. And, and Lee Jae-myung is still the Democratic Party leader, but the establishment elite in the Democratic Party, Lee Nagyon, he is quitting the uh, oh. Democratic Party. He is creating a new party. He will be announcing it later this week. Ooh. And a lot of these South Korean politics actually revolve around who is pro-engagement or not when it comes to North Korea. And a lot of red baiting comes with that in South Korean right. politics, right? You saw it for the past few decades while you're yep. living here, probably. And now that North Korea is like, no, we're not going to win you over, mm. it actually creates complications for both ruling and uh, opposition on right. how to frame things. I bet it does. Actually, someone blanking on the name now, but certainly some people have been saying for years that eventually a uh, one party in South Korea will begin to push an anti-unification line. We don't have that yet. And North Korea kind of got south, got the jump on South Korea. Hmm. Are we expecting to see that this year? It will be very interesting to see. And I wouldn't be surprised because polls kept saying yeah. that some people, like I said, younger generations increasingly think that unification is too costly. Mm-hmm. And although politicians do mention that, the official party lines of both the opposition party and the ruling party mention unification in one way or in an opposite way. Yes. Because people power party is more like unification under 
liberal democracy. And right. if needed, we have to, you know, take over the South North Korean land, which is in the constitution. But Democratic Party is more like peaceful coexistence and eventual reconciliation mm-hmm. and unification. Possibly and, through a federation. Yeah, yeah. But there's, so the one thing that we were discussing earlier and Jongmin brought up this morning as well was South Korea this year, it's set to... Uh, effectively rework its uh, update its uh, unification policy mm. uh, or 1994 and so oh so that's been around been the same policy has been around for 30 years right and so with, with probably with some flavorings added by different administrations and it'll be interesting to see how they now respond to this to what north korea's changes in their new policy we've certainly already seen changes in south korea's approach yeah. we're seeing less of a focus on exchanges and cooperation or the lot of structural changes in the ministry a lot of changes in responsibilities and they've been backing down on their own plans so for example early last year they said we're going to well since 2022 they've been saying we're going to start allowing limited access to north korean media mm. at designated sites around the country or that's what they spelled out last year in a white paper right and now it looks like the messaging out of the unification ministry appears to be that isn't on our agenda for now it's not something that we see happening and it reflects certainly a lot of the changes in tone so between the north korean changes and south korean changes it'll be interesting to see what happens with the unification ministry policy it's going to be so challenging for the un- i can totally imagine unification right. ministry staffers freaking out right now and kinu as well who has to help with formulating the new roadmap for unification because yeah. it's sort of it sort of looks like now that they have to find a way to redefine unification when there's no willing partner to engage with. Right. Um, and they will have to probably dissuade some of the leaderships in South Korea, not to mention unification by absorption, because it, they will be so tempted to say right. that out loud and make it a policy line. Interesting. Well, I know when uh, Kim, uh, when Yoon Sung-yeol was running for uh, the presidency, he talked about wanting to shut down the Ministry of Gender Equality and Family Affairs. And Mm-hmm. Now he he may find himself with a, a ministry that looks even more likely to close earlier. And so it's interesting as well because like last year when talk kind of starts bringing up about North Korea shutting down unification ministry, sorry South Korea shutting down unification ministry. I think essentially over the last couple of years that speculation has been there every now and then, but it's something that also got proposed in by former conservative governments. I think it was in Im Young Bak's time, and essentially it always comes down to it's much more difficult to shut down the ministry than you think, especially when the opposition party controls the parliament, mm. uh, it, it has the majority there. But now there's that question, if North Korea is taking the stance, what is the purpose? And I think that's something. Mm. Okay, well, quick final thoughts. What are you expecting to happen next in inter-Korean relations? From where I'm standing, somewhat as an outsider, it, it feels like what is now what is now happening while admittedly bold, it still feels like, in practical terms, like a continuation of the escalation of rhetoric, of narratives that we've seen over the past year or two from both Koreas. And you'd certainly you'd say that what North Korea has done now appears to be somewhat drastic, takes it to the next level. But I think we're going to see perhaps some structural changes in both Koreas in how they approach inter-Korean relations. But fundamentally, I see it over the next year being more of the same of we're going to see tensions continuing to rise. We're going to see rhetoric continuing to rise. I'm not sure we'll see anything all that concrete just yet, but perhaps signs of moving towards that. 
From my end, next in inter-Korean relations actually will relate more to what happened last year, which was partial or total scrapping of the comprehensive military agreement. Mm. That will be more practical follow-up that will be needed from both Koreas. South Mm -hmm. Korea has announced that it will bring all the soldiers and weapons back to the guard post, but they haven't really announced that they've actually done it yet. We might see loudspeakers back at the border. Ah, Things that CMA sort of stop South Korea from doing, plus new Mm -hmm. things like deploying new drones at the border from the South Korean side that they developed all over the years. And also, we will probably see the unification roadmap issue stir national controversy coming after this. Do we have a date for when that's supposed to come out? I think it has to be July because... Okay, so after the elections. I'll have to check again, but I think they were trying to mark the anniversary of the 1994 Mm. um, agreement. I think maybe it was June or July. But anyways, it's going to be summer probably. Right. Okay, well, it's a lot to look out for. Also, perhaps one or both Koreas will start uh, leafleting again, the other side. It's another thing to, uh, to watch out for. And as we mentioned earlier, some of those propaganda websites like Uri Minjokiri and the DPRK today that deliberately target Koreans living outside the Korean Peninsula, we'll see whether they start changing in their messaging or shutting down completely and also their YouTube channels. I just remembered one thing. Oh, uh, South on. Korea will be able to actually push forward with many of the things that they couldn't really find a way to handle because... South Koreans and North Koreans were technically compatriots and, you know, not recognizing each other as state and stuff, which is like legal stuff. Uh Um, South Korea did sue North Korea last year for the first time Mm. for blowing up the inter-Korean liaison office, but there wasn't much progress about it. But there could be precedent-setting rulings this year related to this, maybe. It could be easier for South Koreans to do that. Okay, so lots of things to look out for. Thank you very much, Jongmin Kim and Shraz Reddy, for joining me on the first podcast for the year. It should be an interesting year in inter-Korean relations on the Korean Peninsula. Yep. Thanks for coming on. Come on again next time. See you. Thank you. Thank you. Ever feel overwhelmed with the complexity of trying to understand what's going on with North Korea? Don't fret, NK Pro is here to help. Built on the strong reputation of NK News, NK Pro combines decades of experience with cutting edge technology to offer the best in North Korea related information. Here's the deal you get daily analysis and exclusive news, along with amazing research tools that let you tap into a vast range of open-source North Korean information, such as state media search and data extraction, real-time ship and aircraft movement tracking, and A to Z directories of people, companies, and organizations inside and outside the company. Yes, you heard that right. NK Pro is perfect for those in policy, business, and research who need quality, reliable, and timely insights. It's not just about staying informed, it's about understanding the key signals that can change the course of the future. So why wait? Dive deep into the realm of North Korea with NK Pro and navigate the landscape like a pro. After all, knowledge is power. Interested? Visit nknews.org/professionals to claim your free 30-day trial of NK Pro. Once again, that's nknews.org/professionals. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of our podcast episode for today. Our thanks go to Brian Betts and Alana Hill for facilitating this episode and to our post-recording producer genius, Gabby Magnuson, who cuts out all the extraneous noises, awkward silences, bodily functions, and fixes the audio levels. Thank you, and listen again next time. <laughs>